Hey everybody, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. My name's Josiah, and I'm one of our leaders here. Our prayer is that you find this next conversation meaningful and helpful in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at right now. If you're a young adult in the greater Akron area, and you're looking to find community, or just trying to learn more about God and Christianity, I'd want to personally invite you out to Collective. We meet at Grace Church Bath Campus every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And if you want more info, you can find it on our Instagram, GCM underscore Collective. Now let's jump into our conversation. For the past uh, few weeks, we've actually been going through a series uh, that I'm really passionate about and really excited called uh, Jesus Spaces. And, and this is one of those series. Actually, if you would consider your part, yourself a part of Collective uh, and you've been around here for a while, uh, I have to encourage you that uh, if you didn't, haven't listened to the past two conversations, I really, really encourage you to catch back up on them because they have a lot to do with where our ministry is going, what we're trying to do uh, over the, you know, really the next season, the next handful of years. Um, so definitely check those out on uh, the podcast, Collective Young Adult Ministry Podcast. But here's the basic premise of the series. I'll catch you up a little bit, even if you weren't there. The basic premise of the series is that uh, Jesus has called all of his followers, uh, all of them, to dedicate their lives to trying to bring the gospel to other people, to try and bring Jesus uh, to other people. Uh, we've established two things so far. Number one, that God has called every follower of Jesus to dedicate their lives uh, to bring him to others. And as a ministry, uh, we've really tried to build around that reality, that, that um, telling other people about Jesus, uh, trying to share what Jesus has done in our lives, that's not the job of the pastors, and that's not j- the job of the church officials, and that's not the job of the Catholic priests, thank God, uh, but that's the job of like every single follower of Jesus has get, been given uh, the exact same calling. And then the second uh, uh, reality is that that opportunity is right in front of us. That opportunity is right in front of us. And as a ministry, uh, what we've decided to do, the way to kind of organize that and facilitate that is as a ministry, we try and send people out to other groups of people, specific groups of people, where they can set up some kind of space, whether that's around a sport or whether that's around a Bible study or whether around that's just a common space uh, like Starbucks or something like that, where they can set up some kind of space where Jesus conversations are happening and people can decide uh, what they want to do with him and what they don't want to do with them. And, and here's the deal. I know there's a lot of us in this room that, that would probably say, I, I'm not following Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of checking things out or the girl next to me is cute, so I'm rolling with it and kind of pretending she's going to find out later, you know. Uh, like, I, I know a lot of us are in a lot of different spaces and that, that's okay. Uh, what this series is, is helping us explore is if you're not following Jesus, what it means and what that looks like and how that will play out in your real life because following Jesus is, is this life-altering thing. It's not like this, you know, I picked up like hot yoga or something. It's like, you know, it changes every aspect of your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus and it hasn't altered your life in this type of a way, there's a problem. If you are a follower of Jesus and your life isn't dedicated first to knowing God, but second to making him known in every area, whether that's your work or your school or your family or your relationships or whatever that is, if that's not the reality of your life, there's something wrong. And we're trying to explore and we're trying to pinpoint what that is. And I think all of us in the room who would say we follow Jesus, we probably all legitimately want other people to to experience the life-transforming power of Jesus. I think all of us that have experienced that, that love and that grace and that forgiveness want other people to do the same. But I know that there's 
there's so many of us in this room, anytime we have this conversation, there's so many people who would say, that's great that people are doing that. That's great that there's out, you know, people are bold enough to say that kind of stuff. That's not me. That's not me. That's not how God wants to use me. God doesn't want to use someone that's broken like I am. God doesn't want to use someone who's made the mistakes that I've made. God doesn't want to use someone who's as inadequate as I am. I don't think that's what God wants for me, but it's really cool that he wants that for everybody else. If you got a Bible, you got a phone, if you got like Google, if you got like, I don't know, some device Elon Musk made and I don't know about, uh, what I want you to do is to find Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. It's all the way at the very beginning of the Bible. It's one of the earliest stories in the Bible. And I want, I want to tell you and look at a story of a guy who had a lot of insecurities. Uh, raise your hand if you have insecurities. Uh, yeah, okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you just want everyone to think you're cool. And there's your insecurity. found it for you. Uh, but we're going to look at a guy who has a lot of insecurities. This story takes place at the very, 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 very beginning of the Bible. And actually, actually at the very beginning of really recorded history, uh, th- th- this was uh, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came and walked on the planet. This was before there was a Bible. So there was no Bible at this time. This was before there were like 10 commandments, you know, don't kill people was still pretty much up for grabs. Uh, people didn't even know uh, what, who God's name was yet. They didn't even know the name of God. This is a very, very early story. And at this time, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the Israelis, the Hebrews, whatever term you want to use, uh, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. Now on a scale of one to 10, uh, how well did the Egyptians treat the Hebrews? Negative 72. That's a, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good explanation. The nation of Egypt had uh, really, well, it had effectively become a, a sort of concentration camp for the Jews at this time. Uh, there, there was widespread racially motivated persecution that was taking place. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Hebrews were basically imprisoned and they were forced laborers for the Egyptians. So, you know, we know that Egyptians had a lot of architecture projects and the Hebrews were the forced labor for that. They would be whipped, they would be beaten, they would be starved, they would be worked way longer than they could manage. They were forced laborers. Uh, There were uh, efforts on behalf of the Egyptians or on part of the Egyptians to actually try and control and imprison and even exterminate the Jewish people so actually, we're told at the beginning of the story uh, that there was this widespread infanticide, that every Israeli baby boy that was born was drowned in the Nile River by, by the Egyptian military. Uh, th- there was, it was racially based evil, evil, evil persecution, and, and the Hebrews were crying out to God. But there was one man who escaped the land of Egypt. There was only one man. He got out. Uh, he was supposed to be drowned in the river as a child, and, through the, and it didn't happen. God saved him. He was supposed to go into slavery as he got older, but it didn't happen. Uh, God saved him. And then he was supposed to be personally murdered by the king or the pharaoh of Egypt, and that didn't happen either. He was able to escape the land of Egypt. He got out of the concentration camp and ran as far away as he could. He met this girl in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so if you're having trouble, maybe give that a shot. And uh, he started a family and he became a shepherd and years went by. One man got out and years went by. And this is where our story picks up. His name was Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter three, starting in verse one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He had been doing this for a long time. A long while had passed. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, which was the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. 
Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Imagine being in like a desert, like it's very, you know, kind of arid, nothing's really happening. If you saw some kind of plant, first of all, why is it on fire? You know, maybe another shepherd went by and left a fire behind. Maybe like you got, like it was lightning, like John Roy, our drummer, got struck by lightning one time. So I guess anything's possible if you believe, you know, like maybe, like, why is that on fire? But if something caught on fire, uh, it would just burn up immediately. But this fire kept going on and on. This fire was not dependent on any other source. It just kept burning. When the Lord, who was representing himself through the bush, saw Moses uh, coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. In fact, take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy grounds. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who are his ancestors. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I see them. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And I have come to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. This is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites now live. Lots of, you know, the classics. Uh, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, uh, uh, people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God and he said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Who am I? I. God rescues Moses. He pulls him out of the land of Egypt. He leads him to a safe place. He leads him to a secure place. And then he calls him to himself to send him back into Egypt where his people are still suffering. And Moses asks, who am I? Now, listen, that's basically the gospel story, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that's basically the story of your life, that God pulled you out of a land of suffering, that God pulled you out of a place that you didn't want to be, that God pulled you out, out of the place of abuse and the place of oppression and he pulled you out and he drawed them to yourself himself and that's where you met Jesus Christ and and the story kind of goes that after you meet Jesus God sends you back in and many of us followers of Jesus will immediately start saying who am I I'm hardly the ideal, you know, follower of Jesus, you might think. Uh, you know, I messed up. I do a lot of dumb things. If people only saw my life, if people only saw what I was wrestling with, if they only, they would immediately think I'm a hypocrite. I'm better off to just keep my mouth shut. You know, the name of God's probably better off without me being attached to it. If people only knew my struggles, they would stop listening. Who am I to claim to know what's true? I don't really know what's true. That's like kind of an aggressive claim to say. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't know that much about Jesus. I'm not going to win, you know, Bible Jeopardy anytime soon. Who am I, God? God, I blew up that relationship. I blew things. I, I screwed up with my family. I screwed up with my old friend group. They know what I was into. They know the mistakes I made. They know the things I did in high school that I don't want to talk about. Who am I 
to go back and, and even claim to be, uh, to have some kind of rescue plan for them. Who am I? God, I'm good with you using all these other people, even broken people. I will support them financially. I will pull up to their events. I will, you know, give in their GoFundMes, like whatever, but just not me. Who am I? And we see very clearly that Moses, what he wrestles with is insecurity. That's what he wrestles with is insecurity. And here's what insecurity is. Here's a quick definition for you. Insecurity is obsessively examining yourself regardless of your relevance to the situation. That's what insecurity is. Insecurity is obsessively examining yourself, looking at yourself over and over and over, regardless of your relevance to the situation. In other words, insecurity makes everything all about you, no matter how much about you the situation actually is. So let me, uh, you know, a while back, this was probably a year and a half or, you know, two years ago, my brother-in-law, uh, Matthew, he, was, he uh, got married uh, to his wife, Sienna. She, she's super awesome. And I was uh, invited to be a groomsman. Who, and I think I'm a pretty, addition, pretty good addition to the wedding party. I was glad that I could, you know, help them in this kind of way. And so I, I show up to the, the, the day of the wedding is here. And if you know me, uh, you know, my poor wife, like I, I never know when things are. I never know what to wear. I don't know what the color scheme is. Like I'm never paying attention to any of this kind of stuff. And so the day of the wedding pulls up. Up and all the different groomsmen pull in and uh, I, I walk in, you know, wearing my stuff. And I, I had this thing with like shoes. I don't know what it is. I like really like shoes. I don't, I'm not like, I don't really pay attention to much else in life, but I like my shoes. And I pull up and I see that all of the other groomsmen are wearing brown shoes and I'm wearing black shoes. And I immediately become like super embarrassed. Like they're all wearing, you know, they're all wearing brown shoes and I'm wearing black shoes. I just start texting my wife. I'm like, Sarah, you got to come immediately. <laughs> like you got to go f- look in my closet, see if like stop at Walmart or something. Like you got to find me some brown shoes. I know you're thinking this is ridiculous, but I- I'm just like playing these scenarios in my head. And uh, I'm thinking like, man, what's going to, I'm going to walk down the aisle in freaking black shoes. Like everyone's going to look at me and they're going to be like, why the heck did I even come to this wedding? Like this guy's wearing black shoes. What? They're all wearing brown shoes. Is this guy some kind of moron? Like what's going And so I kept talking to different people. I was like, hi, my name's Josiah. I'm so sorry about my shoes. Like, I know that's like the first thing you notice when you met, like I'm wearing black shoes. I'm so sorry. And, and we're going on and I'm just keep, I keep like thinking, I'm like, what happens if, you know, the bride comes down and she's like, man, F this. Like I'm leaving this guy. Matthew, I knew you were incompetent. You couldn't even get your groomsmen to wear all. Like they're all going to be, she's going to be coming down the aisle. No one's going to look at her. They're going to look at my black shoes. Like what the, so I, I'm, like, I'm playing this over and over. And finally somebody gave me some brown shoes and I calmed down and I just thought, it's so ridiculous. Hey, here, here I am, like seriously, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm thinking that at their wedding, people are going to care about the color of my shoes. I'm thinking that's how, regardless of my relevance to the situation, I was like the fifth groomsman, like no, the one that no one cared, the pity invite, that was me, right? Regardless of your, you make everything about you, you obsess about yourself as if it depends on you. And it's very easy to find the insecurities in other people. You know, when people apologize like every other second, you're like, oh my gosh, like chill out. It's, no one's thinking about you that much. It's very easy to identify that. It's very hard to identify your own insecurities, because the irrationality in another person is easy to pick out. It's very hard to find the irrationality in your own mind. And this is exactly what Moses does. If you pay attention to the story, what God is saying to Moses is he's saying, Moses, I have come to save the Israelites. 
I'm here. By my mighty power, I'm the God of your, your father. I'm your God of the ancestors. I've done all these miracles. I have these wonderful, mighty things that I want to do. I'm going to pull them out. I'm going to rescue them. I just, so I'm sending you, just go tell the Pharaoh of everything that I'm going to do. That's it. And I'm going to save all the way. And Moses immediately is like, I'm wearing black shoes. Who am I? Who am I? Do you notice what he does? He takes all the emphasis of the whole situation and he puts it back onto himself. He says, God, in other words, you can't really do that because I'm a screw up. God, you can't really do what you're saying you're going to do because of the things that are wrong with me. In other words, here's another way of thinking of an insecurity. An insecurity is a stronger confidence in who you are than in who God is. That's what an insecurity is. If you're a follower of Jesus, an insecurity as core, an insecurity that prevents you from doing what you need to do is a stronger confidence in who you are, my failures, my problems, my issues, than in who God is. In other words, my weaknesses, you think, are stronger than God's power. And here's how insecurities are formed. Insecurities are always formed by combining a truth and a lie. Turn to the person next to you and say, insecurities are always formed by combining a truth and a lie. This is very important. This is wonderful. Edification. You know, we're all, we're all learning here together by combining a truth and a lie. Listen, it, the only thing more deadly, the only thing more deadly than a lie is a lie that sounds like the truth. In fact, the lies that sound the most like the truth or have the most truth wrapped in them are the lies that are going to last the longest. And so what was the combination of truth and lie? What was the insecurity that caused Moses to disbelieve God's call on his life? And actually, we find it in the chapter before. It's a part of the story that, that I didn't show you. I want to go there. Did you know that before Moses escaped Egypt... Before Moses had ever gotten out of Egypt, he wasn't a slave. He was actually living as part of the royal family because he got adopted by, by the princess of Egypt. Uh, before Moses ever escaped Egypt, he tried to rescue his people. Before he met God, he tried to rescue his people. In fact, in chapter two, we're told of the story where Moses, he leaves the palace and he walks out. I, I, the idea is he was probably sheltered. He probably didn't really know what was going on with his own people. And so as a young man, he finally gets the ability to go out. He leaves the palace and he goes out and he sees the suffering of his own people. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Basically my own family, my own nation was, were being oppressed. I didn't know the slave drivers were treating them like this. I didn't know all this terrible thing was going on. He sees this, and then he sees in the distance, he sees one of the Egyptian uh, soldiers beating the snot out of Hebrew, one of his own flesh and blood. And he keeps beating and beating and beating, and Moses gets angry. And he says, I need to, I need to save my brother. I need to save my friend. And so Moses runs out and he gets, uh, he comes to Egyptian and he rescues the Hebrew and he starts fighting the Egyptian and he fights and he fights and he fights. But Moses has a problem. He has an anger issue. It's an anger issue that shows up multiple times in his story. He has a really hard time controlling his temper. And so he blows a gasket and he kills the man. Now, in Moses' defense, he did kill this man. There's no excuse for that. But it wasn't a cold blood murder, right? 
He, you know, it was probably the situation was either the Hebrew's gonna die or this other guy is going to die, but he kills the man nonetheless. The next day, Moses goes out. He thought no one saw the incident. He hid the body. He comes out the next day and he sees his people, Hebrews, this time they were fighting. And Moses says, essentially, hey, stop fighting. Maybe we can figure something out. I'm a part of the royal family. Maybe we can get this situation under control. And they look at him and they say this. Exodus chapter two, verse 14. The man who Moses was talking to replied to him, who made you to be our judge and our prince? Who made you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me the way you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Who made you to be in charge of me? Who made you to lead us out of Egypt? You're not our savior. You're not our rescuer. You're a murderer. You don't help people, you hurt them. And when you try and help, and when you try and make the situation better, you always make the situation worse. Who are you to try and rescue us? And so when God calls Moses, think of the connection here. When God calls Moses to go back into Egypt, and Moses says, who am I? That phrase is not something that Moses just came up with on the spot. That phrase is something that had been embedded to Moses. He is quoting the man who accused him. Who am I? He believed what he said. Because here's the thing. Moses, I, Moses was trying to do the right thing in this situation. He was trying to set free his people. He was trying to rescue them. But he's a broken person. And he did a bad thing. And he messed it up. He tried to do the right thing in the wrong way. And so here's the truth combined with the lie. The truth is you messed up. You killed that man. You're a screw up. And here's the lie. And that's all you'll ever be. You're a screw up. That's true. The lie. And that's all you'll ever be. That's how an insecurity is formed. That's how a wound is formed. Think of a knife that gets stabbed inside of you and no one ever pulls it out. So now you got to spend the rest of your life trying to work around the wound that you had. Uh, to be really honest with you, um, part of the reason that this story has been on my heart so much uh, this week is, is I actually really uh, resonate with the story. Um, this is actually one of the stories that, that God has used in my own life uh, quite a bit. Um, because when I accepted Jesus, I was in high school. And, uh, you know, high schoolers are not the brightest bunch out there all the time. And when I accepted Jesus, I was very, very passionate and very, very zealous about making some kind of difference and bringing other people to Jesus. It's very passionate about it. But I've always had a problem. I've always struggled with controlling my tongue. Always. Every person that loves me, every person that's close to me, every person that cares about me, at some point, I have said something very destructive. And I've always uh, had a hard time uh, reining that in. And so I remember one time when I was about a sophomore in high school, we were trying to work on this event where we were gonna try and tell all of our friends about Jesus. And we were gonna try and bring all these people in and and hopefully they would hear uh, and we'd share what's on our heart. I remember as I was organizing this event, I would get stressed. And when I got stressed and other people we were working, I'd get mad. And when I got mad, I started running my tongue. And I started saying all this stuff and all, all this dumb stuff, trying to do the right thing, kind of, but doing it all the wrong ways and all these terrible things. And over the course of time, um, different people in my life have basically said to me in ways that really sunk, on, sunk in, they said, I get why you're doing this, Josiah. 
This whole, th- this whole thing about helping other people, it's not really real. I know what you're doing. You're just arrogant. This is just a power thing for you, isn't it? It's just a way that you can be in charge of something, isn't it? You don't help people, you hurt people. You're a bulldozer. You don't do much good, you just add a lot of bad. Josiah, you're just a big bully. That's all you are. Josiah, you're just a big bully. A few days ago, um, I had the, so it's weird. In our like kind of network of churches, if you're going into ministry, there's like this big, huge test that you have to take. It's like this like eight hour written exam. And then you go in for like a three hour, like verbal exam. And it's all like theology and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's horrendous. You would never want to do it. Uh, but I had to do this. And it's like this big milestone or whatever. And so a few days ago, I like went in to do it and, and it went pretty well. Um, and, and I passed. And so I, I come out and I like telling my wife I'm, and telling some people that are close to me, I'm like, hey, this went really well. Um, and so we we're celebrating. And I was hanging out with some friends. Um, and one, one of the friends uh, asked me basically, uh, Josiah, how do you feel that, that you did that? How do you feel like you're on this like ministry track and all this kind of stuff? And I said this jokingly, and then I just kept thinking about it and I realized how serious I was. I said, I feel very embarrassed that I passed that. I feel super embarrassed um, that I'm on this trajectory because the first thing I think of are all the people that told me I was a bully growing up. And I just think they know I shouldn't be doing this. They know my mistakes. They saw them. They know my history. They know the things I'm not telling in this room. They know all the screw ups. They know I shouldn't be doing this. And I feel embarrassed. I actually didn't even really want to tell this part of the story that much, but I feel embarrassed about it. Because I'm not, God doesn't use bullies, you know? God doesn't use people who are mean. He uses people that are compassionate and kind and all this other stuff. And I don't fit the bill. God doesn't use someone like me. Listen, what's the insecurity that you believe? What's the thing that someone told you? What's the thing that you've always thought? What's the thing that everyone around you jokes about all the time? And over the course of time, it really just sunk in. What's the insecurity that you believe? You can't lead other people. You're addicted to pornography. How can you lead other people when you can't even lead yourself? What do you tell yourself? I can't, I can't help other people. I can't tell people how to, how to be rescued by God. I, you don't even know about my past. You don't even know about my sexual history. You don't even know about the secret that I never even told anyone else about. You don't know what's going on. I'm not the kind of person. God isn't calling me. I'm sexually broken. I'm morally broken. I'm screwed up. I'm a hothead. I'm not the kind of person that God uses. I'm a coward. Remember that one time I was supposed to do that one thing and I chickened out? That's all I'm ever going to be. I'm a coward. I'm an introvert. God only likes extroverts. The only place in the church is for extroverts and people that like do cahoots well or whatever. I don't know. Like that's not me. God doesn't want to use someone like me. What's the insecurity that causes you to reject God's call on your life? Is it about your intelligence? Is it about how you look? Because what what happens to us if I'm so Moses leaves Egypt, right? And he sets up in, in this wilderness where he's safe and where he's secure and he's away from the oppressors. And what happens is when we're insecure about something, that's what we do too. 
We set up as far away as we possibly can. Every psychologist worth their soul is going to tell you that when you experience uh, some kind of pain or some kind of wound or some kind of trauma, your brain starts forming these little algorithms to make sure that you never encounter a situation like that again. So when you mess up or when you get hurt, your brain is automatically thinking, how can we avoid that? How can we avoid that? How can we avoid that? And so you get the opportunity to leave the place of suffering. God gives you the opportunity to leave Egypt and you think, I'm, there's no way I'm going back in there. And many followers of Jesus, especially in America, what we end up doing is we end up convincing ourselves that the spirituality that God actually wants from us is not to turn around and go back into Egypt, but to set up camp over here. So I'm just going to do Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. That's what God wants from me, right? I'm going to improve morally, improve, 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 improve. God just wants me to clean up my act. God wants me as far away from Egypt as possible. I don't want to go back in there. I know the kind of person that I am. And it hurts to go in there. And it hurts to be around those people again. And they know what I did. They know, I'm a screw up. They know that. And God doesn't use someone like me. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to clean. I'm just going to improve over and over and over again. And that's what Moses does. Moses never wants to go back in Egypt. He never wants to step foot into the place where he uh, became a failure in his own mind. And he didn't do that because he was a coward. It's not because he was afraid. And he didn't do that because he didn't care about other people because he was so self-absorbed. It was simply because he was insecure. God doesn't use someone like me, but then God sends him back in. Moses has an encounter with God. He sees the burning bush. He sees the God that maybe he heard of, maybe he knew, maybe he had no idea. I don't know where he was at, but he encounters the burning bush. And God says, listen, if you really want to follow me, And if you really want to take the next step in your spiritual journey, whatever that's supposed to mean, if you really want to be everything I've called you to be and do everything I've made you to do, you need to go back to where it hurts. You need to go back to where the pain started. You need to go back to where the people are. And you need to tell them about a redeemer. And you need to tell them in the same way that I brought you out, I intend to use you to bring hundreds and thousands of other people out as well. And Moses says, no, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. You don't know. You don't know how I messed up. I'm a murderer. That's like, I think one of the 10 commandments, I don't know them yet, but it's probably going to be in there. You know, like I that's, that's not for me. I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed I'm not the person. And then God says this, Exodus chapter three, verse 14, God says, tell them my name. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. When they ask my name, when they ask who sent you, you tell them, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. The chapter before, who made you to be leader? Who made you to be prince? God says, I have an answer. Tell them my name, I am has sent you. If you don't know, I am who I am, that translates Yahweh. That's the Hebrew name for God. It means Yahweh. But think of what the idea of I am who I am is. God is saying, listen, I don't depend on anyone. The same way that this bush is burning and burning and burning and it has no fuel and it has no gas and it has, it just keeps going. That's what I'm like. 
I don't need anything else to sustain me, which means this, your weakness cannot affect my power, my plans, or my compassion. Your weakness cannot affect my reality. I do not change when you fail. I do not depend on your success. I am and I will always be. I am who I am. So Moses, why are you so worried about you? Why are you so worried about yourself? Why do you think that the way you are is going to shape me? I am who I am. And when you walk in, don't say, (laughs) Moses, don't tell them. Don't say, here I am, it's me, Moses, the guy who's here to lead you to safety. Don't walk in and be like, you know, I I know I killed someone, but I've really had a change of heart. I'm like coming back in, you know, I, I think we can do something different. When you walk in, you say to them humbly, say, I'm just a messenger but I met the guy. I'm, I'm just a messenger, but I met the one. The one who's going to take us where we need to go. Here's the point. God isn't asking you to become this perfect leader. Uh, he's asking you to trust that he is leading you perfectly. God is the leader. God is the one who's moving. God isn't asking you to become this perfect leader. He's asking you to trust him. That he'll take you where you need to go. That he'll bring you where you need to be. And that all you're trying to do when you're trying to bring Christ to someone else, you're not trying to showcase how good you are. In fact, in many ways, you're kind of trying to showcase how screwed up you are so that you can say, but he still led me out. And he still took me where I need to go. That's what, <laughs> that's what leading means. You know, I, like, I think a lot of times when we think about like leading someone, we think of like, you know, these like big, powerful, like nice, like butt chin kind of people that like stand up with their tuxedo and they, you know, they, they like lead the way, you know, got that like, you know, like when Obama talked, like everybody just like started listening to him. Like they got that kind of voice. And a lot of us are like, that's not me. That's like not, that, not what I do. Listen, what leading means is just going for first. It just means going ahead. And God said, listen, you're completely qualified in every way. I brought you out of Egypt. So go back in and show them how to get out. You're going first. You're just leading the way. You're going back in to carve a path. And, And honestly, you might think that you're leading the way, but in many ways, you're not even leading. You're just following. Do you know, in John chapter eight, in John chapter eight, uh, Jesus says something. Somebody asks Jesus a question. This is hundreds of years later. Somebody asks Jesus about who he is. And Jesus says, listen to me. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He quotes the same Exodus passage. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, do you want to know something? I was the one in the burning bush. You want to know something? When Moses went into Egypt and he stood before Pharaoh, I was the one that went with him. When all the miracles and when all the plagues happened, you want to know something? I was the one that was doing those things. And when Moses stood before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, which is how the story goes, I was standing right next to him, which means, and and Jesus says, listen, I'm appearing to you today, right now, to lead you in the exact same way, because someone greater than Moses is here, as the New Testament says. Someone even better than Moses is here right now, because I'm appearing to you and I'm calling you, and I'm going before you. And Jesus says, in a few days, I will stand before the gates of hell, and I will look the devil in the eye, and I will say, let my people go, and I will lead you out. I will lead you out of Egypt, out of the place of suffering, out of the place of oppression, out of the place of abuse, out of the place of pain. 
if you follow me and I will be with you to the end of the age. And when I send you back in, you better not forget that I will be by your side the whole time. Our job is not to save the world. And our job isn't to change somebody's heart. And our job isn't to to be this perfect person and have all the answers. Our job is to point the world to the only one who can rescue, and that person is Jesus Christ. Here's why I synthesize this. Uh, Insecurities are always going to point to you. Insecurities are always going to point to you. And confidence is always going to point to Christ. I I really don't believe in self-confidence. I really don't. Because people say, this is what people say about confidence. They're like, hey, if you want to become more confident, what you need to do is you need to discover your, your true potential. You have to discover your potential. And so you need to find that you're really good at this thing or that people really love you for this attribute or like find the potential for it. And here's why that will never work if you define confidence that way. Because if you're really being honest about your true potential, every time you discover your potential to do good, you'll also remember your potential to do evil. If Moses was to look for his potential to do good, he still has to remember, and I have the potential to kill a guy again, because I did it before. And when you remember your potential to do good, you know full well that the same person that does the beautiful and the good thing does the evil thing. Self-confidence cannot be generated, not legitimately. Confidence is found in Jesus Christ. The one who is right beside you. The one who is saying, I am who I am. I don't depend on you doing good. You depend on me being who I am. And listen, if you are in me, and if you follow me, I'll do the work, and I'll be the one. And all the good things about me, I will apply to you. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, I don't know how to save people. I don't know how to rescue people, but I know the one who can. Here's how I want to land everything. I want to talk about if we are to overcome insecurity, if we are to overcome that insecurity in a real tangible way, that's going to mean three things that you have to do, that there's no way around. If you want to overcome that insecurity in a real tangible way, that's going to mean three things. The first is this. The first thing is to identify the truth. Identify the truth. Here's why just thinking happy thoughts about yourself isn't working. You know that there's part of your insecurity that is most likely true. You really did do that thing. Or that thing really did happen to you. I really do wrestle with this addiction. I really do wrestle with this trauma. That's actually a part of what's happened in my life. I really do have real limitations. So, you know, part of insecurity is, is recognize, it's okay to recognize that that person is smarter than you. It's okay. And it's okay to recognize that that person's more talented than you and that person's more outgoing than you. There, there's real truths to these insecurities. The, and this can be the most painful part because sometimes it, it means looking at a secret in the eye and exposing it. So I'm not going to keep this addiction hidden anymore. I'm not going to keep this trauma that someone else inflicted on me hidden anymore. I'm actually going to bring this out to other people that I trust because it needs to be exposed so that it doesn't say a dagger that's just stabbed inside of me, just waiting. The first step is to identify the truth, but then the second step is just as important. Then you have to identify the lie. I really was abused. And that is not who I am. I really do hurt people. I have. 
And that is not who I am and that is not who I have to be. Other people really do define me by this thing. But Jesus Christ does not. And I will live by his definition of who I am instead of the random bystander that's just throwing accusations at me who doesn't really care about me that much anyways. I have a real history. Me and my boyfriend really did X. That pregnancy really did happen. That thing with my father really did happen. That personal mistake really did happen. And I am not defined by that. I am defined by Jesus Christ, the one who came to set me free, the one who came to rescue me. God does not love me any less because of this, and he never will. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is who he is, which means my failure cannot change his reality. He loves me, and that's the end of the conversation. There's a truth, and there's a lie. I need to identify the truth and invite Jesus into it. And I need to identify the lie and invite Jesus into it so Jesus can exterminate it. Throw it back into the pit of hell where it belongs. And that's where freedom comes. And that's how you start overcoming. And that's how you, because you can push it down, but it lives there. And you can hide it, but it lives there. But this is how real freedom actually takes place in the third step is then you have to go back into Egypt, for real. You have to go back to tell other people about Jesus Christ. You have to go back to live as, as the light of the world in a dark place. For some of us, that means maybe going back to that family member that we cut off, thinking that would bring health, but it didn't. For some of us, that means going back to that friend group that now that I've been redeemed, now that I've been saved, sometimes this takes a lot of time. So I'm not saying run back immediately. I'm saying find the healing first, but now I'm going back to them to tell them about what Jesus has done in my life and point them to him and say, the same thing can happen to you because there is no fear in love anymore. And if I know who Jesus has defined me to be, if I know what he says about me and I really, really believe it, then why am I so hesitant to go where God has called me to go? You're not too stupid for God to use you. You're not too broken for God to use you. God wants to use you. And the calling wasn't just for Moses. It wasn't just a special guy because Jesus said, go into all nations. He gave that calling to every single one of you. So what's that going to look like? What's your life going to become? What's that going to be? Surrender to Jesus and you will find rest and rest for your soul. Let me pray with me. Jesus, would you guide us? Would you give us truth? Would you give us peace? God, I pray for many of us that you would give us courage. Courage to probably say something that hasn't been said out loud before. Um, courage to invite you in because we haven't talked to you in a really long time. Honesty about where we're actually at, how life is actually going, that uh, we're telling all these people that we're good, we're good, we're good. Um, and we only believe that because we're not taking any moment to actually stop and think about it. So would you give us the honesty to reflect? God, I pray in your name that you would free people in this room from the bondage of insecurity and from the bondage of lies. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would send them out into the spaces that you know they need to be. 
and they're not going to know what to say and they're not going to know what to do, but would you remind them that you are with them? You give the words, you give the power, you give the strength. God, would, they, would you let them trust you and be transformed and be renewed in that whole process? God, in this next time, would you let us worship? Would you let us see you? Would you let us see that you want to use broken people just like me? Would you let us respond to the one, the only, the I am who I am, Yahweh, Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Collective Podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, or you just want to reach out for help or advice or someone to talk to, we always want to make ourselves available to you. One of the best ways is to send us a direct message to GCM underscore collective or to send us an email to collective at graceohio.org. As always, you are invited to Collective every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. Hope to see you soon. Bye. Thank you.